Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. And welcome to a very special episode of the Sanctum Socorum podcast. It is our 50th episode, and we want to do things with a bit of grand flair. So tonight we have special guests, plural, and even a very special giveaway, all while we continue to plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We are here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table. I am Keeper Jet. With me tonight, as always, is Keeper Mark. Hello, everyone. And Keeper Bob. Hey, folks. And our most illustrious special guest, the Dark Master himself, Joseph Goodman. <laughs> Hello. Hi, everybody. Great to be here. Great to have you. And and I'm not exaggerating. It It's really awesome after all of the encouragement that you have provided to us um yeah it's awesome to finally get you here <laughs> once every 50 episodes that's my policy <laughs> uh, yeah you're not kidding uh so uh tonight we are going to discuss mr goodman's own favorite appendix and tale the tower of the elephant by robert e howard the story is considered a classic of conan lore and is often cited as one of Howard's best tales. All right, Bob, take it away. In the Zamorian city of Aranjun, also known as the City of Thieves, a young Conan is drinking in a rowdy tavern when he overhears a Gothic rogue describe a fabulous jewel known as the Heart of the Elephant, which is kept in a tower by an evil sorcerer named Yara, of whom even the king of Zamora is afraid. Conan ventures into Yara's garden to steal the jewel and encounters Taurus of Nemedia, known as the Prince of Thieves, who has the same agenda. Taurus is wily and fat, but amazingly agile. Impressed with Conan's daring, Taurus agrees that they will work together. And, and work together they do, right? It's for a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I suppose it's hard to spoil a story from 1933. Fair. It is in the public domain. You know, I'm dying to hear why this is your favorite, Joseph. You know, I've read a lot of Appendix N and at this point, a lot of pre-Appendix N. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I was trying to prepare for this and think about why it is my favorite. And I don't know why. It's just so good. I think part of what has made it one of my favorites recently is now that I have two kids and I'm trying to read stories to them. And we were just talking about this. A couple, I guess a year or two ago, I 
figured it was time to expose my older son to, you know, to quality literature. Um, <laughs> this is shortly after I exposed him to Bruce Lee movies and he punched a kid in the face at school. So I decided maybe he wasn't ready for Bruce Lee. We should switch over to literature. Luckily, he hasn't applied a sword to anybody at school. But I, I wanted to find a good Conan story to read to him. Um, and this is what I started with. And I, I think part of the reason I now like it so much is that he loved it so much. And it opened his eyes to, I mean, obviously, he'd read plenty of fantasy literature in the sense of like Harry Potter and Percy Jackson, that kind of stuff. But this just sort of opened his eyes to a new kind of fantasy literature. And I think that he will um, you know, I'll, always love it as a result. But it's it's just like classic D&D. And if you discover this after you've discovered D&D, you think it's obviously based on a D&D story because they meet in a bar and go out and have an adventure. Um, <laughs> and it's the reverse. <laughs> this is where D&D came from. That's what also makes it so amazing. That's a really good reminder, especially uh, with the current climate, right? <laughs> yeah. That's my take. I just, it's such a great story. I'm open to hearing from you guys as well. What makes you guys love it so much? Go ahead, I mean, Mark. It, it's such a short, but packed with everything story. I mean, rereading it yeah. for the podcast. It's amazing how how much he gets into the story as far as like uh, alluding to backgrounds and history, you know, and just creating this sense of a world. And, you know, it's only got these three chapters. You know, it's it's very much a, you know, one, two, three act, you know, where he, he gets the information, he goes to the tower, and then he encounters the Yara at the end. But you get such a depth to it. I think that's one thing that really, you know, attracts me to it. Um, and also, I think this is like, you know, if you've seen the movie Conan, and, you know, I think most people have, and that's what I grew up, you know, I, before I even read the Conan stories was, was you know, seeing the movie Conan, you know, that I, I think that this Conan as presented is inexperienced, younger, and this, and also human, right? You know, there's a lot of like, sort of terror elements and fear that he, he overcomes them with, you know, this sort of like, you know, uh, you know, this, the, the skills and, and sort of background that he has, but it's really, this kind of like younger and experienced Conan. that's also really kind of appealing as well to me. It, it's before the pit fights Conan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is becoming Conan, right? It's that's fair. It, it, it does. It, it portrays him as, as a bit more, more human as Mark said, but also it is the story is told in such a visual format which is kind of hysterical when you think about the fact that most people that have watched anything with Conan the Barbarian have seen the visuals, right? I mean, they they took like half of this for Conan the Barbarian, and the original script treatment for Conan the Destroyer was Conan Prince of Thieves. I mean, this story was everything for, for the films, and... It, it just makes it very approachable. If you've never read it before, it feels a little familiar. And if you, if for some reason you haven't seen the films, shame on you. Uh, hey. It, it's, it's still just <laughs> no shame a fantastic anywhere. read. <laughs> but I think if, if you're coming into Dungeon Crawl Classics from really anywhere, but even from, you know, D&D 5e, I, I think it, well, you should read the story no matter what. You should read the story, you know, to your grandma next time you visit her at the nursing home. Everybody should read the story on a regular basis for everyday life. Um, but if you happen to also be coming into DCC from the 5D world, it's especially interesting because Robert E. Howard does such a great job of making fascinating encounters out of simple topics. You know, you basically have a bunch of lions in a courtyard that had their vocal cords taken out, and that's terrifying. You have a giant spider that can spin webs. And the way he describes it is first killing a thief that, you know, Conan doesn't know how he died and finds these small puncture wounds and it swings by so fast. It's like just a three, blur. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. Like there's such simple elements of adventure that are done so well that you can transform every, not every day, but what we think of now as mundane animal encounters that you like skip over when you're reading the monster manual, you know, giant spider, whatever, you know, lion, whatever, but they're great adventure. And so I think there's just a lot there too, about how to craft an exciting adventure first with mundane elements. And then Mark, as you mentioned earlier, when we were chatting before the show, like in the last, I don't know, five pages of the story, you know, he faces off with an, alien from another dimension <laughs> planet who knows what who may or may not be a god and has a crazy jewel that traps the greatest sorcerer in the land you know and it goes from very mundane encounters to very fantastic extraordinary stuff in a very short period i, I just think it's a fascinating way to, to to construct an adventure you know and give the in this case the protagonist but maybe a you know in a dcc game the character is like a fascinating adventure you know with with just working with so little and making it so amazing and in the yeah, same- I, I think the- oh go ahead I was going to say, I think your point about that, that that really resonated with me this time in the reading of the spider encounter, because it's like one of the things that you said, it's like, oh, let's let's have a random encounter table and oh, you see a spider. Okay, well, you got to fight the giant ants, you got to fight the giant spider. And but the way it's uh, it's told, it it really is a toolkit for, you know, judges going into their games to make everything, you know, uh, special because Conan almost dies. You know, it's probably I think it's, you know, one of the things that is probably the closest he comes to death in many of the stories, because you know, this is like a, a creature that's fearsome and fast or just as fast as he is. And it has these thick ropes that he has to, you know, avoid and he almost gets trapped. It's it's really great just for that sort of like micro piece to say, take that to the table, take that sort of energy and, you know, and, and fear, you know, try to translate that even with the most, you know, mundane of encounters. Well, and the devil's in the details, right? Because when, as, as Jen mentioned, when he finds the his his companion Taurus is is dead, and he finds three puncture marks. So it's yeah. not it's not like you know a pair of mandibles or a sting. It's some sort of trio, which makes the longer you think on that small detail, the more weird and alien that spider becomes. I, you know, even even its size. A lot of times, people will describe something as it was the size of a large hound. No, it was the size of a pig. And so, and so already you've got kind of that off-putting size visual comparison and then these just weird details and, and your mind just can run away with it. And so that really feels very DCC. Well, you know, they didn't have buses back in the 30s per se. So pigs were the closest thing. I, I don't know. <laughs> but much like, um, I would say much like DCC itself, there's very little wasted prose if any in the story there's there's not a wasted paragraph or segment it's just continual cinematic action which man okay yeah i i have learned yeah (laughs) this is this is exactly what brings it home for me well each chapter kind of stands stands on its own as this this cool little vignette right i mean there's there's Conan getting the information in the in the bar and, and someone being insulted and then everything goes dark. And when the lights come on, Conan is gone and the guy that picked the fight is dead. And it's boom, boom, boom. There's there's just so many little moments like that. It's it really is, it's almost a masterclass in storytelling. It's very stripped down. There's not a whole lot of of additional, you know, padding in there. It's just the story and it moves. I love that bar scene because I, I one thing I that pulled out to me this time when I was reading is that 
it's lit by a single candle. <laughs> and that really evokes this sort of yeah. like very different image, you know, from like lit up tavern, you know, with like everything. It's like one candle and then it goes out and it's dark. <laughs> and then, that's a great point. I, yeah. I think so much of like good fantasy is about the fact that peasants are poor and right. being a farmer is no fun at all, you know? And so I, I think a lot of the scenes, uh, you know, in Conan's cities are always like, filled with waste, you know, and, and, you know, depressing places. And it's not, you know, there's no magic store selling 5,000 GP bracers plus one, you know, like you're just yeah. scraping <laughs> by. And so I feel like that element of whatever, you know, working class uh, fantasy or whatever you want to call it really comes across to your point, Mark. I actually didn't catch that, but you're right. The one candle thing is, is perfect. And it is like such a seedy bar, you know, where they're all sitting around trying to figure out what to rob next, you know? I, I really, I, I like that descriptor. It is, it's working class fantasy. I mean, the, you know, everybody that's in that bar, whether they're adventurers or not, it's their adventures because they work for a living. You know, they are no heroes. Um, and yeah. and so it's, it's all about you know, getting by. And uh, you know, we've, we've got the guy that's like, yep, I'm going to kidnap this person. And I'll have him across the border and sell him. And it's going to be great, which is just <laughs> a right. terrifying concept, but it's, no, it, it's really bad because that guy's in there talking to the natives like he's going to teach them how to That's right. uh, market other people and steal other people. But they're the experts at it. I, you, <laughs> Just, the, that hit me. Yeah. What, one thing I was thinking about when I rewrote it this time is that the last time I read this was actually, um, I think, Joseph, when I was on the uh, the assignment to go to Robert E. Howard's house, you know, in uh in Plainview, Texas, which is a couple hours away from where I live. And I downloaded an audiobook to listen to. And this is one of the stories I listened to. But oh, when great. you go there, it is, I mean, it is such a rural environment, such a, you know, I mean, poor. It's, you know, it's a very, you know, sort of like, you know, working class, you know, farms and 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 very small town. And that's what Robert E. Howard was, was lived in for all his life and grew up in. You know, he he had direct experience with, you know, the sort of, you know, very isolated rural culture, but he, you know, reached out and touched, you know, so much, you know, through correspondence or through his, you know, obviously through, you know, writing for the magazines and things like that. But it is, it is such a transporting experience to like go into this like very rural community and see, you know, it'd be very much like there's a pig, you know, next door, you know, there could be a spider just looking out the window, you know, type thing. A lot of things in Texas, maybe there are pig sized spiders down there. I know there's yeah. thumb-sized wasps called cow killers, so... Ouch. Mm, can we not? Um, <laughs> so this story was first published in, what, March, I believe, of 1933. How yeah, just like three years before Howard died. Yeah, but then he started writing early, right? Well, he, he started writing when he was nine, but, but that stuff wasn't published. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, he's one of the big three of Weird Tales, right? It's it's Robert E. Howard, H.P. Lovecraft, and Clark Ashton Smith. They're the big three, and uh, and and of course, he and, he and Lovecraft were were lifetime friends, going back and forth with with letters. And so, it's always kind of interesting when you see you know Lovecraft references slowly kind of bubble into into Howard, and every once in a while, you know, Lovecraft would return the favor. But Howard's stuff is so great. I mean, yeah, it's a product of its time, um, but uh, like his boxing stories, his boxing stories are still great. You just have to read them. No wonder Joseph the likes 30s. them so much. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, this All is... his writing is great. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had a tenth of his talent. It's amazing 
to your point, Mark, where he came from, you know, it, it just the, 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 talent he produced, it's incredible. So Joseph, I know you only have a little bit of time with us. Is there anything else that you want to tell us about your, your, your feelings about the story, your thoughts and you, know, you want to share? I keep coming back to it. You know, the, the authors that I tend to reread again and again and again tend to be Robert E. Howard. Um, the other really good one I reread a lot is The Gods of Balsagath, which is great. But the opening fight scene on the like the ship, you know, where the lights keep coming yeah. in and out because it's a storm and like the lightning strikes. Like Ro- Howard has such an amazing ability to describe fight scenes to your point, Bob, in like such vivid cinematic ways. But yeah, anyway, but ha- yeah, but Howard Lovecraft and Clark mm. Ashton Smith are the three that I like basically reread on a cycle every so often and can't live without at this point. But I, I think I'd just say the reason I like Tower of the Elephant so much is that having read it aloud to my kids now twice, it reads really well out loud. So I know this sounds weird, but if you haven't read it out loud recently, try it. I, I know, Mark, you probably know the story, but apparently Howard would shout out loud as he typed. <laughs> the stories were that he would bang like super hard on the keyboard and shout out his words as he typed them. <laughs> and it was, you know, <laughs> and like, wow. now that I've read this out loud, I can see it. Like there's a lyrical quality to the words, you know? So I would say try reading it out loud to your kids if you have some, or just to yourself, or on the bus, or wherever you want. Uh, you know, and it's in the it's street in a sombrero. I think that's the other thing they. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. Just yeah. shout Robert E. Howard stories at strangers. I, I did yes. not know that about his writing. That's... You know, in San Francisco, it fit right in, right? Uh... Yeah, yeah. There's already a guy doing that down on Market Street. So I anyway, imagine I it flows questions. a little easier than Clark Ashton Smith, though, especially Probably. for the kids. Yeah. yeah. At least, but yeah, it's a great story. I recommend it to everybody. It's really good. Well, thank you so, so much for your time and for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yay. So maybe, maybe you'll only wait 25 more episodes for each other. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. Maybe. (laughs) Yay. I'm I'm wearing them down. I'm wearing them down. (laughs) (laughs) We will take the win and we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, we thought we'd take a little time to resume our normal uh, structure, if you will. And guys, we've got a, a Howard story. What are we starting up for it? I want to. I, I want to write up rope made from the tresses of dead women. Yeah. That just that is that is so especially. It's hundred and fifty feet of rope. <laughs> It is so creepy. It, it is such a such a creepy concept, but it is such a folk magic concept, right? I mean, it, it reads like something out of out of like the Appalachian. If you give a woman a piece of cheese, it will fascinate her. If you if you bind the hair of dead women, you will have an unbreakable rope. It's it is so creepy and cool. Fair. Fair. So that, that would be where I would start, right? It, it really speaks to uh, to Taurus and Namidia's um, dedication. You know, it's it's referenced in also where he goes and gets the powder and he spends like so much time and energy doing that. And he's so precise. Uh, 150 feet of dead women's hair is, is pretty extreme, but if there's one person that could do it. It's probably. <laughs> I, I think that anybody that works for Locks of Love would probably have a heart attack when reading that, reading that line, just the amount of hair it would really require. 
Um, You're a monster. <laughs> right? Uh, I'm not a monster. Taurus is. Taurus is a monster. But, it, no. but it's, again, we, we're, we were kind of talking about this earlier, you know, with Joseph, that, you know, taking something that is so routine and mundane in our current, like, you know, 5e, other systems, like you get a magic rope, you know, this is a rope that has, you know, texture and history because, you know, the magic comes from how it was created and how it was built. And it's kind of going back to those those elements, you know, that Howard's so good at, you know, with the descriptions. And I, I love that idea of just being, you know, ready for the judges to use and and like really imbue your your magic with some some history and some some uniqueness like DCC, you know, kind of uh, expounds as well. It really makes me wonder about the uh, cultural origins of that like where did he pluck that from back in the 30s mm. that's i uh, would say his fevered little mind fair. <laughs> he well, was again, he fair. was already talking to lovecraft at this point just saying it is not the strangest thing that he ever wrote um but but the silent lions really it just you you debarked the lions <laughs> Well, and they and they never really say why they're silent, right? Are they are they trained to be? Are they magically so? Yeah, I, I like I like Joseph's story. You know that mm. they took the vocal cords out and. <laughs> but they made but they just complete silent stalkers. It was so creepy. Yeah. Uh, another another weird kind of cosmic thing that uh, that definitely shows that that uh, Howard and Lovecraft were of a of a similar mind on several things was. The race of Yag, from which we get our uh, our tragic our, our tragic figure in this story, you know, these elephant these green elephantine creatures with wings coming off of their shoulders that travel the stars. Uh, you know, if you if you swap elephant head for like squid, you see where I'm going here. It's uh, it's it's very kind of cosmic horror. Uh, Lovecraftian and and Elephants Conan responds appropriately, right? <laughs> yeah, he's like, ah, yeah. And uh, and finally, I would say the blood magic, right? Cut out my heart and squeeze my heart's blood over this stone so that I can lay this final enchantment. That sort of thing is uh, that is just ripe for being written up. Yeah. 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 Mark? What about you, Mark? Uh, I, you know, so I think speaking of Taurus and in him as a character, he'd make a great NPC just to have, you know, as as part of his stories. You know, we don't get we only get such a small glimpse of him in this, and it's and it's it you know for the story and the narrative, it's great because you have this sort of build up, and he's very much like, you know, he's he's like the the apex of you know the civilization counter to you know Conan's savageness, and but even at that apex, he's like quickly dispatched <laughs> it's one of those great sort of devices like oh we just met that guy and oh he uh he's dead now you know and it's and it leads into that, <laughs> that you know the awesome encounter that conan has with the spider so but i think he'd be just like he's he's kind of perfect for this kind of falstaffian character you know has this you know you know these depths of his ability that belie his you know appearance you know and and, and i think that's kind of a fun thing that's I, actually I, a really I, good comparison comparing him to falstaff that's yeah. that's really solid and I, I think that he, you know, also speaking of like his magic, you know, he creates this powder, right? But he has to all, he has to go gather it and get the, you know, the resources for it. He spends a lot of time and it's this, uh, you know, it, it, this amazing scene where they spread it in the direction. It's like, if the wind shifts, we have to like get out of here really fast. Otherwise, 
you know, it'll kill us in an instant, just like it's, you know, it's killing these these lions. So the powder of the black lotus would be another one to stand up. Oh, that was in um, a copper tube, right? Yeah, it's in like a, this, yeah, like copper tube for, And you when know. Conan asked, what is that? All he could say was, well, this is what it is. And I went on a big, long quest to get it. But that's right. a different story. But he didn't <laughs> actually know how it killed. It just, well, it just did. Well, and it's funny because it's it's not just Black Lotus, it's Stygian Black Lotus. And again, harkening back to the movie, right? Uh, Black Lotus, the best Stygian Black Lotus. <laughs> in, in the movie, that. it's a drug. In, in the story, oh. it is incredibly but, poisonous. Yeah, different quantities can have a different effect. You know, that's uh, you take it in microdoses. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's <laughs> microdosing Stygian Black Lotus. <laughs> I the other I the last one we, we already talked about the spider you know being this kind of great encounter you know taking the mundaneness of that I think that's you, you know that that's something you don't need to necessarily stand up but you can just sort of you know imbue your own encounters but the last thing I thought of is that you know Yag Kasa as a patron right he's oh. he's not a god it's you know or he might be but he's this alien creature and he's clearly got you know these powers that extend you know beyond sort of the the you know what Conan's experience is and you know uh, Yara taps into that but I think you know the elephant's you know alien being as a patron is like a perfect uh, DCC thing you know where you could you could really you know have a fun uh, time setting up the spells and and how that uh, you know could be used by your players well, especially his his or it is is shown to be so powerful. I mean, not only does it know how many people that Conan has killed prior to getting right. There, oh well, you killed one in the tavern. You killed one here, and and there was another death near you. It is it is so perceptive, whether it's it's magically so or or you know, telepathically. There is there is is so much latent power kind of bubbling beneath the surface of that figure. And yet it has been so abused that it is just ready to die. Yeah. And it also hinted that Conan was playing right into Yara's hands because there have been two deaths. Mine will be the third. Hmm. I really wonder what was slated to come next, but we never get that. And it's both infuriating and really good storytelling. Um, what about you, Jen? Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely going back to the spiders because the uh, the three puncture wounds and the the quote of the castanet rattle of the monstrosity's fangs. What? Mm. Uh, that that <laughs> that's just yeah. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> And honestly, I would I would make up an NPC as well, uh, but it'd be the NPC that everyone loves to hate. It'd be the Cothians. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the ones making fun of our heroes in the tavern and offering that first uh, snippet of a quest, yeah. and also taking the first blade. <laughs> well, and. I mean, also, there's the heart of the elephant itself, right? I mean, it it is yeah. it is purported to have been a key part of so many things that have happened, whether or whether the gem truly contains the power or if it's merely a focus for the power. Hmm. Uh, it certainly could be could be quite interesting to to write up based on the stories told, you know, with like Yankosha 
using that to build the tower in a night or uh, turning a prince into a spider. <laughs> Hopefully not a pig-sized spider with castle. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, but I mean, we, we could also write up, uh, well, geez, I don't know if you could encompass the the feeling of the whole thing because it's all very tragic at the end. All that work and Conan still walks away with zero treasure. (laughs) (laughs) All those gems, all that treasure. And the one thing he came for is uh, sacrificed. Well, you know, I I think as anybody that has, has run a party of adventures who, uh, who tend to leave things, right? They stow them. Well, We'll just get this on the way out. We'll get this on the way out. They never get it on the way out because things are always going horribly wrong. Towers exactly. are collapsing, buildings are on fire, mobs are chasing them. So exactly. again, it is it is Conan setting setting the groundwork for what would later become a regular gaming trope. Well, there was a lot of treasure. We just didn't get it. I mean, the, the top of the tower, right? The, all the walls encrusted with gems and crystals, a veritable fortune there. But uh, did, yeah, but he wasn't exactly dressed to carry much of that. He's, I think, he just reduced to a loincloth. <laughs> well, yeah, which is yeah, he took off his bloody shirt, and I don't. Okay, I mean, well, and, and I'm in a wall. <laughs> the, the description of Conan wearing wearing a tunic and uh, the high wrap sandals and a loincloth, mm-hmm. and, and then he's down to the loincloth. I'm like, okay, so we have kind of this this like. Roman era, Roman style barbarian description, <laughs> and now all of a sudden we're you know, Schwarzenegger in a loincloth. Okay, I see the transition here. This is <laughs> oh, oh, he leveled up. Yeah, question mark. <laughs> uh, the, you know, and and Elena has a really good point. Maybe the 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 heart of the elephant, you know, doesn't even have to be shaped like a heart, but maybe it's formed from something like a you know the the cursed remains of a of a dead deity. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, phylacteries and and things of that nature. Um, yeah, we we could look into the annual for things like that. Well, I mean, this is this is after you know the time that the oceans drank Atlantis, and so maybe maybe it is it is something from there. Maybe it is not something that Yagkosha brought, but something that that was was given to him to use. There's there's all sorts of possibilities there. So the, the gemstone would be really, really neat, I think, to, to write up. There are. There's there's so many possibilities and so many things that I would mesh into this, but I'm going to get way too far ahead of myself. We're going to hit a BRB real quick and be back with another special guest. Yay! Hello again. For those of you paying close attention, you'll notice that our uh, opening and interim music has been a little different than usual. Tonight, we're playing Atop the Sorcerer's Tower from Beyond the Rusted Gate by Francis Roberts. And he's with us tonight to talk about some of his musical inspirations, especially regarding Tower of the Elephant, Conan, Fantasy, etc., and I will step aside and hand this one over to Bob. This 
Mark, we know this is totally yeah. story, right? <laughs> no, no, it is not just me. Look, it's not just me. There's another person here. So, <laughs> definitely not just me. Um, Francis, this... you're far more interesting. Hi, we haven't seen you in forever. Hi. Yeah, it's been way too long. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, and uh, hi to anyone watching. Um, and um, yeah, um, where should we begin with this? Well, I feel um, like there's so much to talk about, um, and <laughs> it's hard to talk about uh, music without necessarily knowing who's heard what. So I think that it, the best thing to do is to talk about um, maybe the most the most famous examples first. Sure. Um, yeah, like I, I feel like if we're talking about uh, about uh, the Tower of the Elephant, should we start with uh, the soundtrack of the of the Conan films from the 80s. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> like, I think that is the one the, place the that we all agree on. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean the 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 original like Schwarzenegger film the, is probably I, I feel like inspired by the Tower of the Elephant more than more than many of the other stories. Uh there's so many so many little tidbits from from that particular story that sort of made their way into the movie, I think. Um and as a result it's a great great place to start. Um and what a great soundtrack. Probably. <laughs> oh, it's it's oh, almost yeah. like the soundtrack is an additional character, or even maybe the narrator of the story. It it, it, it just carries everything forward. There's so much t- there's so much time there with with no dialogue that it just it is it's written to be so evocative, and so it is so perfect for so many things. Yeah, it's, uh, um, we, I, I I think it's really one of the best soundtracks for that for the genre. Just yeah, and it, it it was really impactful. Recently, I had a chance to to watch it in in the theater, right? Which I'd never. I, I was too young to watch it in the theater before, and you know, I'd always heard it through you know television speakers, you know, or, or whatever the you know I was listening to. But it is so immersive in that theater experience, and like, it is like another character in the story, and it's just it it's wonderful to you know it, anybody who gets a chance, like if it's doing like any kind of like you know, touring repertory thing, you know, something like that, you should really take it take advantage of that and go and watch it in the, in the theater. Even if you've seen the film before, it's a wonderful experience. Uh, yeah. I, um, I just got a chance to do that too. And whatever the, the it was the anniversary showings that just happened. Right. Uh, Back in and, December, yeah. Like <clears throat> what a, what a tragedy to watch that by myself in a the movie theater. Right. Like I, I, I thought more people, I thought people would go. <laughs> I was really disappointed <laughs> that it was like me and like maybe two other people in there. So same. Jen, Jen and I saw with like I think we were two of maybe six or seven people. Yeah. The Not even yeah. that many. Yeah. So, but it's a lot better than listening to the soundtrack ad nauseum from down the hall, <laughs> which Jen has been listening to pretty much all day. I, <laughs> down the hall, yes. Yeah, it's, it's it's it is one of those things that you ask a writer like what what are you listening to when you're writing you know for fantasy or things like that you know for adventures for DCC that's probably the the number one thing that comes up is like just putting that on repeat and and listen to it so yeah, I I definitely make my neighbors listen to it <laughs> 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 love it <laughs> but um that's I got to be like one of the big inspirations for anything in this genre um, and I mean I think we've all heard stuff that is reminiscent of it. The first thing that came to mind when uh, Bob uh, bugged me about this was um, the, when you turn on Baldur's Gate 1. If uh, any of you are familiar with that yeah. game, but 1997 CRPG, yeah. <clears throat> um, also probably best in class. Like As far as 90s RPGs go, that's like the one I always reference. But 
the intro music to that is like so obviously a ripoff of the Conan soundtrack in in such a good way. Just the <laughs> battery of the drums come in and then just the slow brass melody. So good. Um, and I think that just treating um, treating an orchestra like it's a character, I think, like you were saying, Mark, is uh, where that comes from. Just giving each character um, in the film their leitmotif or whatever it is that's going to accompany them onto the screen and off the screen. Um, just Almost like writing stuff. a musical, right? You include yeah. that part for the pit to yeah, interact with the stage. And it's like uh, it's basically like rooted in uh, a program or programmatic uh, orchestra music. I think um, that's uh, a lot of well uh, rooted in film music, right? Because you know, nineteen eighties film music had been pretty solved at that point. Um, but that style is uh, you know rooted in ballets and stage performances, and sometimes before that, you have programmatic music. I brought up um, Berlioz's uh, Symphonie Fantastique. As a great mm-hmm. example of that, um, is, are you all familiar with that piece at all? I, I had to not. study that years okay. ago. I loved it. It was oh, right cool. up there oh, with good. List. Cool. Yeah, it's early romantic, um, and it is um, the performances of it initially uh, were well. How do you put this? The audience was given the the bill or whatever that's showing <laughs> who's performing. Whatever the what's that called? Even the program. Yeah. And um, it included a story for each movement. So uh, it's like, here's, here's what's happening in in your head during this, during this music. So this music is designed to accompany this, you know, theatrical performance that I didn't have the budget to put on. (laughs) So you have to put it in your head. And um, the, the piece of it that I think is, is really like progenitor for fantasy movie genre and for stuff like this uh, the story listen, listen to this this is the um, the program notes uh, basically what's just happened in the story previously to this is that um, the character um, I think took opium and hallucinated that he watched his own execution something like that so you know not too different from the like Stygian Black Lotus stuff that you were just talking about but uh, um, and so he sees himself at a witch's sabbath in the most this is the quote in the in the midst of a hideous gathering of shades sorcerers and monsters of every kind who have come together for his funeral strange sounds groans outbursts of laughter distant shouts which seem to be answered by more shouts the beloved melody appears once more but has now lost its noble and shy character it is now no more than a vulgar dance tune, trivial and grotesque. It is she who, coming to the Sabbath, roar of delighted arrival, uh, so on and so forth. It's like that's like the genre of of like what this playbill had for not a play, just orchestra music. And it's like that's that's it. That's uh, early pulp fantasy <laughs> right there. That's great. Oh, okay, so so now we we have someone that is that has taken some sort of strange hallucinogenic plant and is seeing strange things. So now is the perfect time to bring up your recent work for the film, <laughs> the spine of night. Oh, which we just watched. Yes. We, just, we literally just watched it last night. It's an animated, uh, I would definitely call it a sword and sorcery film. Uh, with, it's a very like, heavy metal. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, I, and it, it I wouldn't has recommend it for kids. Lucy no, Lawless, definitely not. Uh, Richard Richard Grand, Joan Manganiello, uh, Patton Oswalt. It's got a great cast, and uh, and there are portions of the film that are very similar to what you just described. Yeah. That's a that's a great uh, segue. Actually, I wouldn't have thought of that, but um, yeah, the the portion of it that I scored is very much like that. It's like here's this. Um, giant skull with flowering plants in it that make you have this like psychedelic experience. And um, they asked me to, to do the music with like, they wanted it to be very psychedelic synthesizer. They were like, you've got a, a Moog synthesizer and like a Mellotron and stuff like that. Like use that stuff. We want it to be like very, um, you know, like 1970s, um, you know, echo and stuff like that. I always use gongs for that. Just like, <laughs> like you know, you, <laughs> gotta be gone um but it's mostly just like like old school synthesis like um early electronic music sounds and you take that stuff off of the 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 grid that young music producers are so familiar with um and suddenly it becomes like the music is that turn of the knob it's like (laughs) um and it's just not in time and this wash of delightful, messy sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so no. I've got to ask what sort of, what sort of inspirations did you draw on when working on that piece? Um, I mean, I, the, the biggest one was the, I mean, besides a misspent youth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you know more <laughs> about that than, than I do. You were there. You were there for it. <laughs> Some of it. <laughs> no, um, no kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's see. Um, I would say the biggest one, uh, and this is, I don't know if this is a cop out of an answer, but uh, the biggest one was the, the placeholder. They, they sent me the, because uh, the, the film, uh, we didn't mention this, but for those of you watching, the film is uh, not just an animated film, but it is a rotoscope animated mm-hmm. film, which uh, means that the frames are drawn over live actors. Um, and so essentially every frame is, is traced rather than drawn from scratch. Um, and (laughs) the, sorry, this is funny. Um, you'll know why the, the, um, when you do that, you don't put, you don't buy costuming for the actors, right? You don't like have like the coolest costume in the world and like a cool sword and stuff like that. Um, if, if the actor is supposed to be wearing like a pauldron on their shoulder, you make that out of like a cardboard box or something. Cause you're just tracing over it. <laughs> so it's like, I'm watching, um, these characters wow. that are going to be voiced by, you know, like Lucy Lawless or Patton Oswalt, whoever, whoever's that character. I'm watching these characters not knowing who the final voice actor will be. Cause that hadn't been cast yet. <laughs> um, so I'm essentially watching the filmmakers and their friends like jump off of their bed in their bedroom with a cardboard sword and hit each other with it. And <laughs> I would say like about a, about a quarter of it had been drawn over at the point that I got it. So um, a great deal of it was just placeholders of, you know, uh, people just like you or me <laughs> jumping off of their bed with a cardboard stick uh, saying like, don't worry, this will be cool. And they sent me a couple of other videos they'd done in like tests to prove that it would be cool. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> That's just funny. seeing that and like <laughs> using your imagination and being like, how could we make this cool? And I did my best to like make it cool without being done. 
And of course, that can't quite be done, but um, I think they they knocked it out of the park. <laughs> they made it very cool. But that was the big um, inspiration. And I always tell people, and it surprises them, that I don't listen to a ton of music. Um, I did that, and I spend most of my music time making music. And I actually... Um, when I'm, if we talked about like when you're writing your your personal tabletop campaign, um, which I'm constantly doing, that's probably my my most time consuming hobby outside of um, everything else that I do. Um, I generally score my own games, so I'll write music for the characters that are in the oh, games, wow. and uh, I'll um, have that music on in its temporary state because it's. You know, when you make music, it doesn't come out mixed and mastered. Um, and you listen to it a little bit to get to the point where you decide what needs to change or what needs to be improved. Um, and I'm listening to the temporary version of the music that I'm going to be using in my you know, campaign session uh, when I'm writing it. So I'm listening to my own music because it's not done yet. So I need to go take a break from writing, uh, <laughs> writing a, a monster or statting, statting out a magic item to, to go Jeez. fix the music real quick because it, uh, it sucks at two minutes and 46 seconds or whatever. <laughs> Man. I was going to say, I've, I've seen you've done a lot of game related materials on like, on like uh, YouTube and release on Bandcamp, a number of, of things. And SoundCloud, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll put done it. stuff for like dungeon synth, you know, dungeon synth instructionals, and mm-hmm. uh, so so yeah, like Conan and gaming is is sort of in your blood. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and older mm-hmm. pieces that you've done, like with Old Man Wizard, and uh, can we not refer to Old Man Wizard as older? Because no, I remember I, when Old Man <laughs> Wizard released the first time, like, and like six or so years ago. I don't, you know, um, Old Man Wizard started. More than ten years ago, can you believe that? Oh man, <laughs> isn't that bad? Yeah. <laughs> makes... Okay, so the the uh, last album I have is like six years old, man. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but so, they're not all synth, right? They're no, no, not at all. There's that been was, a progression uh, from live instruments to synth, and you've and kind of run the of, gamut. Sort of to combine the two eventually, and that's what I've been doing. I, you'll actually really nice. like the stuff I'm working on right now. I'll, it's not close to done yet, so um, I'm sure you'll you'll get around to hearing it when it is. But um, uh, to the to the end of um, or to the point of me saying like the musically like I'm listening to my own music, um, that's no exception in that film. Uh, I was in a very fortunate position. Do you uh, know what a, a, a temp score is? Uh, um, yes. So it's like uh, the director will or the filmmakers will have a working cut of their movie, and they'll put music that they don't have rights to in it. Oh, okay. Like, you know, like uh, I was sort of imagining something like this, for example, here. Uh, I was imagining something like this here. And, you know, it'll be like the soundtrack to another movie. It's like, this is the vibe we want. And it's like, they're not going to, you know, license uh, Hans Zimmer's score from, you know, like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean for their new movie um, because that's completely ridiculous. right? <laughs> uh, so, but they will be like, this is the vibe we want. And for Spine of Night, um, the, um, they reached out to me because uh, I was the temp score. Um, oh, cool! So oh, wow! They, they were like, they, they, there was a, a piece of music that I'd done um, that they would found somehow on probably on tags on YouTube or Bandcamp or something. I can't remember. And they they said like, hey, we have this scene in the movie, um, and by scene, it's like a ten minute segment, right? 
Um, and we want something like this. They sent it to me and they're like, this is what we're using. And we were wondering if you take commissions. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I do. Um, and that's like, how flattering is that? Um, that they wanted me to do music in the style of my music. <laughs> <laughs> that, wow. What a yeah. moment. That is a lot nicer than we'd like you to do it in the style of Hans Zimmer, but we can't afford Hans Zimmer. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's, that's much more. <laughs> it's much better. <laughs> um, being asked to do something in the style of, you know, Hans Zimmer or John Williams and having them think that you're capable of that, though, that's also a different kind of compliment. <laughs> that's fair. That's and, fair. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't gotten that one yet. <laughs> well, and then, so I, okay. Oh, I was just saying, uh, um, sort of ending the thought, I was going to move on to another another one of the pieces of music we talked about, but uh, you had a better segue than I did last time. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking, you know, from, from spine, spine of Night, and your piece there is is definitely kind of, kind of 70s synth, but the Conan stories, I think, especially with the the original soundtracks, are probably best known for the way they impacted metal music, right? I mean, everybody everybody looked like Conan for a while. I mean, no, I, I is. Do you think that's the music, or do you think that's like the cool looking bad guys? Like, I think, <laughs> I think it's a, a little of all of it, right? I mean, there was a period in the '80s where half of the heavy metal bands looked like they'd just stepped out of a D and D adventure. Yeah. When did when did Venom start? I'm not sure. <laughs> Venom band, 1978. Yeah. I feel like they're like one of the ones that I associate with, you know, having like uh, sort of like balding long hair and like holding a mace and wearing yeah, the, the balding long hair. That really is, that really is the look right of the villains yeah. from, uh, yep. from Conan with bangs, always bangs. <laughs> <laughs> and they were always from somewhere. They were somewhere in Europe, just uh, from, from like the deep, deepest, darkest forests of Europe. Here comes three guys with half a head of hair between them and, uh, and a whole lot of, a whole lot of metal and swords. Bangs and mullets, yeah. Yeah, you could you could probably uh, you know take a bunch of that hair and make a magic rope out of it, Bob. I think that's that's you're, you're probably right. <laughs> uh, yeah. B- bangs and mullets, or square cut manes, or whatever Howard yeah. describes that as. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh jeez. Um, so we have a uh, playlist here, Bob. Is that uh, does that include Francis? That does. Uh, we have a. We do have a, like like last time. We have a Spotify playlist. It's five plus hours of music, um, and it includes. I mean, if you go looking for music that was inspired by the Tower of the Elephant, you're gonna be you're gonna be pulling up a lot of stuff. I mean, there's there is, and I I am not. I am not an expert on on hip hop music in any way, shape, or form. So I am I am not qualified to tell you if it's good hip hop or if it's not. <laughs> but there is a hip hop album, Tower of the Elephant, by Killa Non the Barbarian, and, wow. uh, and, and a- AKA Nanny Devito. There it or is, Nanny Devito. I yeah. guess. <laughs> and, uh, Amazing. And, but but in the lyrics there, he's directly referencing you know Conan and. and it struck me as, as very different. It was not something I expected. 
to to <laughs> find think? inspiring hip hop nor to be in hip hop. So that was kind of neat. Uh, but and I'm counting five with the title. Oh yeah. So there was uh, Tower of the Elephant by Iron Sword by Akimbo by our friends Loot the Body, who folks in the DC yes. community should know. Um, Pre Dawn, Arkham Witch did a, mm. did a, a that is. That is a pretty dark and uh, and heavy version, and that is from their album "Give Me Death" by Heavy Metal. Just in case you weren't sure, <laughs> that's awesome. And a lot of this is is more is more recent. So I mean, it is it is dark, sometimes bordering on doom metal. Right? Uh, there's a song "Conan: What Is Best in Life" by Austrian Death Machine. They are Austrian Death Machine. It might surprise some of you. Okay. Know they are a doom or death metal band. Uh, so there's a lot of really they're, dark, um, heavy discordance. Are you, are you familiar with that that band? They're the one that the isn't the singer in Austrian Death Machine an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator? I think so because <laughs> because they they've done like three different oh, albums. All of them have Arnold style covers, and the majority of their music is all riffs. Like the, the titles, if you go down, you know, there's you know, what is best in life. There is Crom. There is I'll be back. It is it is all this this great you know Schwartz and Nigerian references. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it is it is pretty pretty wild. Um, I mean, there's uh, another one I I mentioned I didn't see it on the list and uh, suggested including it is um, Reverend Bazaar's uh, EP Tulsa Doom. Oh yes, yeah. That one's oh. also like directly, you know, the, the cover, the album cover is that banner from the movie, and um, those are pretty cool. That's just straight up doom metal, really, really yeah. cool stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's there's a you know a song called Conan by Witchcraft. There's a band called Conan who have released a, a whole number. There's there's so much out there, and the majority of it is definitely metal and I'm, I'm not really sure you know, going going back to what we said i'm not really sure what it was about that 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 drew metalhead musicians to conan other than you know at the time in the 80s a lot of those guys had started in the early 70s and they're like, well i'm old i'm kind of heavy set and i don't have a lot of hair yeah i can be a conan villain i just i don't know man I, I, it was just Everything got so strange once you got into 80s metal, right? Like Y&T with their giant robot. Uh, everybody, everybody had a weird gimmick, and a lot of for a lot of them, the gimmick was maybe they're from Conan. Uh, yeah, uh, Elena Manowar is the first one I think of when you say Conan <laughs> style band. Yeah. They wear the yeah. um, the the outfit after um, after he gets in the bar fight outfit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. I am absolutely stoked to have over five hours of music to tune into, um, and of course we'll share the the link in our show notes and everything too for that Spotify. Uh, playlist mark i have to say um our our new segment really appeals to me too what is keeper mark sort of one one last thing before we move on to to that next segment though francis you're working on one more thing was it uh was it monstrosities what's it called 
Oh, monstrous! Uh, sure, monstrous. Yeah, uh, I uh, I did the, the music f- for that at this point, and it's like I think that's actually going live on Kickstarter um, soon. I, I I didn't have time. I haven't had a free minute since <laughs> since you invited me on. Um, I, I'm not sure when that's going live on Kickstarter, but it's a um, I believe it is probably uh, I think it's more for D and D. But I, I'm not completely certain. Uh, but it's it's a it's okay. It's we can a make monst- it our own monster book supplement, <laughs> um, and it's um it's really I think uh, a kind of a clever approach. It's more of like a motive motive um, centered approach to writing monsters, um, and it was like it sounded cool. And the the idea of doing doing music for someone's um, <laughs> like you know uh, tabletop role playing book like tabletop role playing music is like underrated. I think music mm. specifically for that. Um, and so you did uh, a soundtrack for a monster book? Uh, no, it's just the soundtrack for the the marketing materials for a monster. Okay, book. But same, same idea, right? Um, I wish that I was uh, the they had the budget to, to to score each monster, like do a uh, uh, like a interactive oh, music. Oh man! With, uh, like you could do that, like a game, and like well, have like a like a soundboard click lich, and it switches to the lich music and <laughs> click something else. And <laughs> what a perfect segue to the Dungeon Denizens Kickstarter that's going, which has oh, over yeah. five hundred monsters for either. Ivy or DCC and the idea of of having a soundtrack clip for every single monster that would bankrupt us I think do you, do you remember how I said I was I was working on on a personal project that's not going to be done for a while <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying is you couldn't afford they couldn't afford me to score every monster so I'm doing it out of spite is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm, uh, oh, I'm doing something delightful. sort of like that, specifically for for my the adventure I'm running. But um, <laughs> I'm I'm inevitably going to expand it. <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta get you writing some DCC stuff, Francis. I would love to. I, I, I actually, now that you mentioned it, I think I haven't played DCC yet. But All right. I think it, okay. I think so we're moving I think on. My, no, I think it's I no, think no, it's no, in no, my no. cart. <laughs> I think all the, all the books cart. are in my cart right now. I think I like forgot to check out. I got carried away, and then like uh, I've been trying to get my my D and D to man. play you, it. You know, I'm like people. this is what we need to do next. This is the next thing. Well, yeah, yeah. War of the Cyclops Con is coming up. It's online. It'd be a great way to uh, to hop in and play some games. May I would love sixth to. and then seventh. I would I would love to do that because I've been. It's like at the very very top of my list right now. Like I said, it's in my cart. <laughs> It might Literally. not be tomorrow, but we'll fix that. <laughs> people, people in the chat are already discussing how to bring you properly into the fold, Francis. Good. Oh, it's yeah, a, yeah. Good. Uh, yeah. It, it's a family. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and the other geeky part of my family is the the uh, word science, as opposed to the musical sciences. Etymology, that's the word I'm looking for. Mark, hit me. <laughs> yeah, I, I love this uh, this on-the-fly segment that we did last time, and then uh, I forgot about it until I saw the show notes, and I was like, oh. Totally <laughs> in the show. We, we're you totally it was a new keeping segment. that. I did, yeah. Well, this is such a short story that, you know, it doesn't, it, it's, you know, there's not a lot, but he's, he's, I think Joseph, like, mentioned this lyrical quality to it, which, you know, the writing and, and reading aloud aspect, which, you know, there's a lot of words in there that are very much like, you know, you know they flow in po- you know poetry sense 
but the, the words that stuck out to me, the two words, and um, so I have two words of the day uh, for, <laughs> for our segment, transcosmic, which is how Conan like describes, um, mm. you know, the Yagkasha as this being and it's his own word, right? It's like, like his own, you know, his own mind. So it's always kind of this like, wow. interesting, like, you know, depiction of this, you know, savage, you know, person, but he's got this kind of eloquent way of, you know, thinking and speaking. And I, I love that term transcosmic, because it's, it's kind of like, you know, this sense of awe and sense of like, you're know, really fills yeah. the space of, you know, this, this being who is alien and, and, you know, not quite from, you know, his own experience. And the other one I loved, which is just a term that is is in there because I think it's very much maybe of the time, but it's uh, the term drinking jack. You know, so a, dra- a jack is like a, a a a cup, you know, that you might encounter. But I love that term because it's it's one of the things that you could use in in a description, and you kind of instantly get this feeling of a place. You know, the the drinking jack right. as a as a term. So I love that word and just, um, you know, how it's used in that opening tavern scene. It's so, more of a leather mug, right? Like yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That I point out for people who, who kind of look at, at the words of, of Robert E. Howard and, and, um, and get, you know, some inspiration for their own descriptions of their own games. And what's the OED rating? <laughs> <laughs> you know, transcosmic is not in the OED, by the way. And drinking Jack's oh. not in the OED. You know, I look both of those out. Jack is in the OED because, you know, it's I mean, there. But this hyphenated drinking Jack didn't appear in OED. So. Transcosmic is so Vantian, too. It is, yeah. I, yeah. It, it has that feel. It, it, it's, that, it's that kind of cusp of neologism, you know, where it's like this maybe invented word. But it's also very easy to invent because it's like two, you know, compounds, you know, put together. Vance is very much like, I'm just going to, you know, invent the complete the whole cough, you know, from some ancient source that he may have read and then translates, you know, to the modern text. But yeah. In fountain pen. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my family. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um I think if I'm not mistaken, we still have another special guest for you in our 50th episode. Yes, we are running a little long, but we We've got one last bit have, to go we over. Have two, we have, we have oh, we have items. two. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Francis, it has been awesome having you. Thank you so much. And we might be- ask you back again sometime if you don't mind. I, I would love to. I um, this is the stuff that I like talking about. <laughs> I and would congratulations even... <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, like I was. Uh, I I really wanted to. Um, to jump in on some of the other conversations you were having. <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats but, again on your uh, Spine of Night accomplishment. You were asked to write something like yourself. You just can't beat that, folks. Yeah, it's always always the best. <laughs> and and as a quick note, the, yeah. the Spine of Night soundtrack is still available on vinyl from Yogg-Sothoth Records. Jen, we have a copy coming. Yeah, uh, I don't have it within arm's reach, but oh my god, the the artwork on it! So well, the cover art is gorgeous. I mean, so I'll cool. I'll pay. I'll, I'll buy yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think it's uh, uh, Yugoth Records. Or is it you? Yugoth. It's a, it, okay. it, it is an elder horror from like a Lovecraftian horror, but I think it's Yugoth, not Yugoth. Oh, you're right. It is. Yeah. It yeah. Is. Thank you. Thank you for that timely clarification. (laughs) All right. Elena, take us out. We will be right back.
Hello again. Uh, with us for this portion, we have the illustrious Stephen Newton. Illustrious. Author. Well, thank you so much. Well, <laughs> authorious. <laughs> you were our first ever guest back in yes. October of 2015 when we did our Halloween episode oh talking about Edgar Allan Poe. Right. And the cask of Amontillado, which yeah, still that was has a fun, a, fun episode. Okay. <laughs> Unfun? Fun. Super fun. Oh, Double yeah. the fun. Yes. <laughs> okay. So now that we've left music world again and we're back in DCC land, um, I mean, this plays so nicely and overlays with so many different products. Mark, what do you have for us? Yeah, I think the one that that came out in, immediately is the the jeweler that dealt in Stardust. Um, that's an adventure that was originally published by, or it's written by Harley Stroh. It's a level three adventure, and it was originally part of the um, Goodman Games first uh, yearbook, um, the 2013 program guide. And it's really? um, yeah, and okay. it's one of these. It's it's a heist adventure, so you know very much like in 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 context of like the Tower of the Elephants. It's you know you have to go into this. Um, this jeweler's home and plan your 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 encounter there but you you encounter something strange you know when you're inside there and something unexpected right you know it's kind of like conan going into the tower of the elephants and having you know the the unknown of the magic and and what that's going to be and it's very you know tension filled you know i love that adventure just as kind of like a mini adventure that um one is one of the early dcc ones so i think that's one that you yeah. could easily you know take and put in a uh you know, swords and sorcery type setting, you know, instead of the urban setting that that Harley put it into. Well, I, I totally agree. I mean, for, first of all, you don't even have to really remove it from the urban setting, right? I mean, yeah. you know, Conan is hopping walls and then and climbing the tower. And in the jeweler who dealt with Stardust, you have to worry about the watch catching you trying to break in. <clears throat> so so you've got that that similarity for the, the point of, of entry right there. And yeah, you... you when when I played it, and, and I absolutely loved it, we started on the ground floor and things were a little strange. Then as we went up, things got weirder. And it's, <laughs> it's sort of the reverse of Conan going, okay, well, it's really nice up here up top of this tower. Let me go, oh my God, what is what is going on as I descend this tower? Uh, it is, it's a great I mean, adventure. Is it the spiders, really? <laughs> well, and, and there are, there's, there's like those weird little, like celestial bug spider things mm -hmm. that that sort of take it, it in a lot of ways i think they take the place of uh, of yog kasha as as the weird spatial mystic MacGuffin. uh but it it is a okay. fantastic adventure i and, I and it's easily playable it. in like a single session which is you oh, know definitely. one of the things that you you know it's really nice to find those and just introduce people to DCC, you know, a different type of, um, you know, than the standard sort of, you know, funnel. This is like a great, you know, way that you could say, hey, let's start out with some higher level characters and let's try this because, you know, it's a one shot, but it, it lets them experience like the 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 different access to the DCC that most people don't, you know, necessarily get to right. if they're if they're just getting, you know, they're they're inter introduced to it. So I like that about it too. And I. I think it was also in uh, Free RPG Day 2012 alongside the Undulating Corruption. But you're right. It can be found in Chaos Rising now. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's like I recall it's just part of the, the DCC 89. Yeah. I'd forgotten that because 
when it was released, we played the emulating corruption. That was Jen, Jen and my introduction to DCC. It took years uh, for Judge me to finally Big run Troy this. Tucker. That is that is the adventure <laughs> that convinced uh, Jen to, yeah. to dive into DCC. Yeah, the other one I was thinking about, and this is more, you know, we'll get into this a little bit later, but the Langmar stories are are so, you know, they're obviously kind of like a, a, a follow-on to, to Conan and sort of like that, you know, Liber and, 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 and that work is, stuff, is very much like, like all of the, the yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, you have the robbery. <laughs> yeah, you, you have Farford, Farford is, who's very much like this kind of savage, you know, you know, comes from like this more, you know, the, the cold waste and, and, or the cold, you know, the, the, this aspect of the Northern barbarians. Right. But there's so many Lankmar stories, but Harley did another one called the heist, um, which, uh, which is part of the DCC 2020 adventure pack, I believe. Um, and that's like where you have to go underground into, I think it may be the overlords catacombs or, you know, uh, one of these areas of, of Lankmar yeah. where it's this another heist inspired one. And, and again, Langmar has so many like rich opportunities for Conan type stories. Um, and, and I think, you know, you could easily take a Langmar setting and convert it into something that's, that's, uh, that's inspired by Conan more directly if you want to see in your, in your campaigns. Now the heist was my first reaction after seeing, after reading about the cats, yeah. because those are actually incorporated into the heist. And I was really confused at the time going, what, what I don't, Okay, sure. Um, yeah, I didn't realize how on the nose that was. <laughs> <laughs> the heist has been the only game that um, Harley has actually run for me. Um, and I believe you were there at the table. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it yeah. was at Gary uh, Con Haley, a couple Haley of years and I ago. tanked it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so he is a, he's a performance artist. I really got to appreciate um, the way Harley was able to run that adventure, uh, you know, back when I was still in playtest mode. Yeah. Oh yeah. What about you, Jen? Do you have some some reskin inspiration? Well, I mean, besides all of Lankmar, right? You've got the heist. You've got unholy knights and Lankmar. They all kind of have that same theme, you know, like the meats. Um, rat the rats of Ilthmar was really interesting because you're in an unfamiliar area trying to do the same thing, and that was kind of Conan's experience, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I see that tower, but what is it really? Um, and honestly, uh, from the moment they get up to the top of that tower, the entire ridge of it is gem encrusted. And as he goes into the first area, there's gemstones lining the ceiling of it. And you know, our parties would have stopped right at the top with the gemmed edge there they would have chiseled out the the gems and called it good right i'm having flashbacks to he who watches from below one who watches from below is exactly what i was referencing yep Mm -hmm. (laughs) the gems will be your downfall (laughs) and uh and that one was by job i believe uh going back to harley tower of the black pearl which was an older one originally and it was converted for dcc uh the end scene down to the elephantine uh statue figure at the at, at the end of the hall yeah it all plays out pretty similarly <laughs> but yeah that that's uh pretty much for my list especially you know 
jeweler's kind of a a giveaway, right? Mm. It's it's the heist and uh, the titular the heist. Yeah, that that really rounds up my list. Um, Stephen, did you have anything cool to add? I um yeah the there were two ones that jumped out at me. The first one, Doom of the Savage Kings, just because in in my mind that before there was the Lankmar Adventures, that was like the the DCC equivalent of like a town adventure where things start there. There's a lot of intrigue. So that's where I got like the chapter one of that adventure where he's meeting and they're hearing about all the people, uh, all the peoples of the, uh, of the realm. Um, You know, Conan obviously being an outsider and and understanding these people. It's the first time. So that gave me that vibe. And the second one would be journey to the center of Aerith uh, just because of the elephantine. Oh um, yeah. I don't know if you'd call him a protagonist, but uh, you know, MacGuffin, um, you, you don't really know what Species? he's going to face. Yeah, yeah. The, and we'll call him an NPC, the NPC okay. in the adventure that he deals with. You could easily make that a side quest of like the maybe better the layers of uh Aerith or whatever the they they had the spin-off adventure where there were several spin-offs of that. I think you could throw that as a side quest if you were playing that adventure in there. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I never thought of that. And yeah, was, because the, he could yeah. just be uh yeah. another one of the, the gardens that have now been kidnapped by some other faction over there. So you could work with him that way. Very cool. And last but not least, Keeper Bob. So so obviously uh, my my brain also originally went to the jewelry that dealt with Stardust. And, and then I started thinking of tower adventures, right? So there's, you know, like, like the tower out of time, you, there's a tower structure, you could play with it. And then I started thinking about it. And I realized that I've written a couple of heist adventures dealing with towers to the point where I should probably stop writing heist adventures dealing with towers. So there's uh, <laughs> Blasphemy and Larceny and Lankmar. And there's uh, Magnific Machinations at the Grand Exposition of Marvels for uh, <laughs> for DC Dying Earth. And uh, I think that uh, Magnific 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 (laughs) Machinations. Hey, I wrote this a long time ago. The Um, Magnific Machinations of the Grand (laughs) Exposition of Marvels. I think think that would be a fairly easy reskin because you are you are literally looking for the weird gemstone MacGuffin there as well that has strange powers and uh and and is doing is doing very weird and creepy things and so that would be an easy overlay Uh, oh wow i I feel like i missed a beacon there (laughs) and blossomy and and larceny and lankmar isn't i i don't think wouldn't be uh quite as quick and easy of a of a reskin because there's there's a lot more intrigue involved in, in like the entire back half of that adventure but uh, but all all the way to you know in in, uh, in the dying earth adventure all the way to bad things happening in the tower. Although I would say that my tower is creepier than Howard's. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's better written because I mean I'm not going to compare myself <laughs> to Howard, but I'm going to say mine is creepier than Howard's because I was going for creepy and Howard probably wasn't. Um, and finally, maybe not so much of a, a, a reskin as a conversion. Uh, Morton Braden with Zothnet Publishing put out a free adventure online, Tower of the Elephants. 
<laughs> and uh, it's available free online. And we're going to, with his permission, we are going to have the DCC conversion appearing in the first issue of Sanctum's Cormac Quarterly. Cool. Very so, nice. So, and that is that is a, a full adventure complete with you know, the silent lions, pig-sized spiders. Because, you know, even, I just want to point out, even in the 30s, no. even in the 30s in the United States, we would use anything but normal measurements to to uh, to declare the size of how, how big is that spider? Was it, was it no? It was the size of a pig. Really? Maybe That's they're right. traumatized the by Charlotte's Web. <laughs> Are we talking like Orville size pig? Or? Right? Yeah. It's it's sort of how the foot evolved as a measurement. You know, it could be you know what size foot do you have? You know, what size pig do you have for this? Uh, exactly. This you know, is it? <laughs> Is it, is it a full-grown sow? Is it a piglet? Is it, is it a foot-sized pig? pig? Okay. <laughs> Bob, you talking about all these towers. This it makes me think that towers were used to be like the or were like kind of like the tentacles of you know Goodman Games adventures. I, I forgot that it, like another one, America was framed has a like a, mm, a tower. <laughs> Very one of these early DCC adventures that just like the towers, you know. <laughs> We, we've got to be careful, or we're going to have a we're going to have a, a tower moratorium like we did. Yeah, the girls and tentacles actually. Um, shoot. Um, yeah, and and death. Oh shoot! DCC Lankmar number six was another one set in a tower. Uh, yeah. Although Lankmar has a lot of towers. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true, and. I will say, uh, in in Lankmar's defense, tying in with uh, it, with Conan, it it really does feel like creeping into the old abandoned temple district. So yeah. uh, I guess I should uh, fast forward a little bit here, huh? And isn't um, there some dark tower adventure coming out that contains oh, a dark tower? <laughs> There's multiple Wait, towers. There's right. multiple towers. Let's not fast forward that fast. But you could reskin Dark Tower <laughs> with Tower of the Elephant and Magnific Machinations of the Great Marvels. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them in one adventure. I'll hold you to it. <laughs> okay, so we're we're bookending this 50th episode with our very first guest ever, as Bob mentioned. So, uh, returning for the first time since October of 2015. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want to I point think... out it's only been 47 episodes for him. It took Joseph 50. So, just, you know. Yeah. Steve is well, an easier guest. <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate you having me on. I always love to chat with, you know, all three of you. I can't wait to actually press flesh with you guys at Gary Con in a couple weeks. Um, yeah, it'd be great to break. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is always wonderful to be part of this. I, I mean, I hear you guys a lot. I feel like I know you guys a lot because we're you're always in my podcast radio. So it I doesn't mean, your feel. Ear holes. Yeah, yeah, my ear holes. Yeah, we did just see. <laughs> <laughs> it's only been a couple weeks. That's true. <laughs> All right, and that's going to bring us to our DCC feature for the show, which is. Interestingly enough, Masks of Lankmar by Michael Curtis. Go for it, Bob. A heist gone wrong brings an unlikely group of thieves together and sets off a search for forgotten treasures 
hidden in the city of the Black Toga. Can our heroes of questionable moral character survive the twisting chase that leads through the plaza of dark delights, crosses paths with Shield of the Eyeless Face, and delves into one of the oddest tenements in Lankmar? Not if the Thieves' Guild has their way. Yeah. Or the, uh, the, the people who are actually in that tower. I just want to say that you've got yeah. your Howard in my library and, and, and your library in my Howard, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I dare say this tower might be a little deadlier than Howard's, but if I recall, it is I only a level know. one. I don't know. I mean... It's mm. only a level one mod, so eh, maybe. <laughs> Depends it, on the it, dice, right? Yeah, this is one. This is like one of the first Lankmar, like kind was, of precursors mm-hmm. to Lankmar. It was like kind of like a you know. I think it was the first re- first Lankmar release. Yeah, yeah, and I and I remember getting it and just being so excited with how you know Michael Curtis was approaching the the Lankmar setting and, and eager to learn more. I think this and like you know I can't remember where the the title of the other one was, but it's you know very much like this. These the patrons of Lankmar are very prominent in both stories, and I think there one thing that I always remember about this adventure when I when I got to a chance to play in it is that it has this very sort of intricate description of the trap that's inside the tower right you know it's it's this detail of you know that Michael goes into you know it's not just like a trap that you have to like have a DC you know 15 to overcome with a pick pick lock check he gets you know into the mechanisms and the workings of the trap and like how mechanically you know it, it makes sense and I always like tried to take that as a lesson of like oh yeah you can, you can even if the players never see that never experience that that's such like a, a good foundation for a judge to like you know respond to like some crazy thing that a player does and it's like oh you know i i, I can understand this in a, in a way that i can respond to that and I, I love that about you know this takeaway from that adventure and i mean the the theme of having to blend in with your surroundings too but do the players dare to don the masks it's yeah yeah the the intrigue is one of my favorite parts about Lankmar in and of itself i i love i love the adventure but with uh my my strongest memory of massive Lankmar because massive Lankmar was released at gary con yeah. And I remember it was released after the What's New with Goodman Games. And it was supposed to be some big secret announcement. And I figured it out for the wrong reasons. Because I had overheard Michael Curtis talking with Jim Ward and about something they were doing. And I'm like, oh, they're doing something with Jim Ward. That's That's got to be what the super secret thing is. And so I was looking like, oh, Jim Ward worked on Blankmar for D&D. Got it. I've got this figured out. <laughs> now, Jen already knew, and she wasn't. T- she wasn't saying a word. And as I as I rattled this off, she just sort of staring at me with this weird. You're not right, but you're not wrong. Look, because they were also announcing <laughs> a partnership with Jim Ward for Metamorphosis Alpha, and what he was doing had absolutely nothing to do with Langmar. But I figured it out uh, the wrong way, so I got the right answer in the wrong fashion, and I will I will never forget that about Basil Langabar. And of course, right after right after uh, what's new, ran down and and picked that up. And it's it's a fun adventure. I've I've never run it. I've only played it, and I remember it being being tough and weird. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it also has chase rules in it. 
Yeah, I, I love those. Yeah, which I adapted for uh, for Blasphemy and Larceny. I'm like, well, there's chase rules. I'm going to use them. I think uh, every uh, module they were encouraged. The writers were encouraged to introduce a new technique for chase mm. rules. I know a lot of them have different nuances. Yeah, and it's it's and that's such a, a tight. I would almost say claustrophobic adventure in some ways. That's fair. Um, That's fair. I was going it, to say they carried over the chase mechanic idea uh, and creating new chase mechanics over to Greatest Thieves of Lankmar, but that is the opposite of a claustrophobic adventure. Yeah, and, and in this one, if I if I recall correctly, I mean, you've got the the tower isn't just a freestanding tower. The tower is within a tenement. Yeah, yeah, that's the nice and, thing is you had to get through the tenement and, and have this like great like sort of NPC encounter opportunity and then the thieves skills behind it. And that's that's a that's a cool um you know weird location for the tower, yeah. And I I, I forget the name. There was a there was a a real life location. It was it was in China. It was torn down before the Olympics, and it was a it was technically it was a city, it was like a tower city, but it was a tower slum city where people just sort of built and built and, and ran cords and things and i i'll i'll find it for the show notes when we when we post the uh the podcast episode but i that's sort of what i pictured as we were going into this just this this tight little spaces to go through but filled with filled with life and uh and no small hint of despair yeah the stack city I, is 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 the MacGuffin in um not the MacGuffin, the setting, if you will, in Ready Player One. So I don't know if you guys have read that or seen the yeah. movie, but it, in its dystopic future, it's all—it's like basically a trailer park that's been stacked vertically. Yeah. And so, um, if you ever wanted to reskin or grab some ideas from that to have that, like, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say apocalyptic, but certainly dystopian tower. Very dystopian. That, yes. The you, the you, fact that that there was such a place in existence until they, they cleared it to make room for a stadium for the Olympics. Right. Uh, yeah. It says a lot about China. Uh, yeah. But but it, a little bit attack the block. <laughs> but there's there's uh, that, that that's a different type of tower. <clears throat> but but yeah, it, it's it's a great adventure. And again, with with you know Lankmar Lankmar is the city filled with thieves and, you know, Erosion in Zamoria is the city of thieves. So you can sort of see the, the comparison and the overlays. And while it, I often say that every fantasy city you've ever read is just an echo of Lankmar, I can't help but wonder, because we know, we know Fritz Leiber read Howard, I can't help but wonder if, if Lankmar might be an echo of of Erringen. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. It's thought. Well, there's some excellent food for thought. And I think we've pretty much um yeah. Well, One last shout out before we, yeah. we we go into our outro. I've the chase and mechanics are one of those oh. things I love about Langmar, but kind of if you're looking for like a another version of that like an early precursor, one of the first things I I, they caught my eye with GCC was the the zine the metal gods of Ur Hadad. Oh yeah, which has yeah. which has like this urban chase oh, sort man. of rolling encounter uh, mm -hmm. mechanic, 
well worth checking out if you like the Langmark. That was a, that was a great mechanic. Cause a great you, call out. Too. Because it, mm-hmm. it dealt with more like finding the exit from the neighborhood and moving to the next. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. Um, and it, that zine probably doesn't get enough, enough attention for, it was a very limited, you know, sort of, you know, series, but for DCC fans who want to kind of go back to some of the, the early stuff, that's a, that's a great resource. So. That's a deep track there, Mark. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the the episode zine. Deep. Yeah. Well, Stephen, are you good to stay with us for another like five minutes or so? Sure. Love to. Awesome. So we promised you something special. And so here it is. Elena, are you ready? Because it's time to open up the Sanctum Sacorum's very own. Prize Closet of Mystery. For our 50th episode, we are doing something truly special this time. One lucky winner will receive the last unclaimed copy of the Shrouded Grimoire, which is number 10 of 10. And if I recall, is that hardcover? That is. It compiles five years worth of foreboding magics and arcane lore. And the library itself contains 20 i'm sorry 37 new spells and 13 new patrons to bring to your dcc rpg table to enter you just need to drop us an email that's the hub at sanctum.media with the title of your favorite appendix and book or story and one lucky winner will be drawn at random we'll break out the funky dice for you and everything and we'll announce it. We'll announce you the winner during next month's show. Just send the email to the hub at sanctum.media with sanctum contest in the subject line so we don't confuse it for an entry in the sanctum Sacorum reading room drawing because two shows, same producer. Yeah, it, it's complicated. <laughs> and Bob, you want to talk to us about our, our sure. other you know, special thing this year? Yeah, yeah. amidst uh, shows and GaryCon this month, we're also launching Sanctum Sequorum Quarterly. Uh, the first issue is almost done, and it is loaded with content from people like Daniel J. Bishop, James Posenel, Joan Troyer, ourselves, a whole lot more. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the premiere issue has the adventure Temple of the Elephant, there are expansion on monster swarms and potion fumbles, discussions of film and fiction. Uh, it's going to be a beast. It, it's coming in and watch Jen's eyes cross. I say this, um, it's going to be about somewhere between 30, 32 pages long. So uh, she's coming off screen. I'm getting all the red pens. <laughs> and the best thing is it's still going to be absolutely and utterly free. So whether you're interested in joining the team, contributing for a single issue, or just want more information, you can drop us a line at the hub at Sanctum Media. Um, we're always looking for, for new material, buying new voices, and, uh, and helping folks get their stuff out there. And, and speaking of new material and new voices, uh, be sure to check out the releases from our partner, Ugandan author Ashraf Braden. Currently, the Kakondo and Laquata are available on drive-thru. They're a buck each. And the next release, the Bakwezi, is due out 
any day now, and it includes a full character class. Oh, cool. So, wow. yeah. Um, wait. Uh, okay. So the other stuff is it, these are a book, right? Mm-hmm. These. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. I'm pasting them in for our uh, viewers. Um, the other's free. Yep. Are you sure, Bob? Yep. Uh, but well, and and with the materials we're doing with with Ashraf, Ashraf is an <laughs> he is a, a game designer living in rural Uganda, and all of Sanctum's proceeds from that, you know, after drive through takes from that title, yeah. that, everything goes to Ashraf, including you know, affiliate sales. It all goes to him. Uh, so nice. you can you can really help support a new voice and get materials that are are wholly new and different they're you know, culturally different they're exciting and uh and it makes them i think makes them a lot of fun and it brings a fresh feel to your table your players won't expect it it's not something that most of us sitting around the table here in the u.s are liable to predict yeah and and while uh, both the kakando and laquata are are monsters uh, the Kakando has rules for a new weapon. The Luquata has, I believe, a couple new weapons, as well as probably the most blood-curdling mighty deed that you will ever come across, mm. which is dismembering attacks. And pronunciation guides, both written and audio. Yes. Which are pretty exciting to this nerd right here. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're yeah. 50, we're fifty episodes in now, yeah. and, uh, and I'm still going to say it. If you're enjoying the show, please comment on the podcast, almost <laughs> <laughs> uh, by uh, posting a review on iTunes, commenting on on YouTube or on on Twitch. Join us, join us in the stream chat. It's always lovely to see folks. Hey, Joan, Joan just logged in. Um, Leave you know, a comment com- on Drive Through RPG if yeah, you want to get the zines. Yeah, those those ratings reviews actually. Do make a difference. They, it, it, it all hail the mighty algorithms. Um, <laughs> it tells the algorithms uh, what sort of things you like and helps you find new things, and it helps other people find us. And so, it helps other people find the community, which I think is almost more important at this point with yeah. all of the new fans out there. Uh, help bring them together and realize why DCC was created. As the Dark Master himself said earlier in the show, there are so many similarities just between this one little three-chapter story and the feel of so many parts of DCC as a whole. Yeah, and, so. and the, the community is, is one of my favorite things about DCC. It's it's why we do a free companion zine. It's it's why now we're doing you know, Sanctum Secorum quarterly for free. And it's why people are contributing to it, right? I mean, it's between that and the Gong Farmers Almanac, and there's there's so many wonderful free resources because our community pitches in. Right. I mean, I, I would say that kind of why we do the show too. Yeah, oh, it, yeah. Oh, I was, I was just gonna say the community is my favorite part of DCC. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I was introduced by DCC, but. Um, as the commercials like to say, you have a lot of choices today in your old school adventuring. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I love it. The the DCC community, the the love, the camaraderie, the fellowship amongst the authors and the players, and 
and all the teams. It just can't be matched. So um, I, I think you're absolutely right, Bob. We should help foster that environment and just keep that love flowing. Yeah. And thank you three for being a big part of that. Um, I mean, it's shows like this and reaching out and the generosity that you give to these new creators is um, just exemplary. So thank you for all that you do. And Elena in the background there, wherever she is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I just want to point out, we first Elena. started doing this. We were new creators too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, it's like you know, every almost everyone that started on Spellburn went on to write for Goodman Games. Everyone that has has been on Sanctum Secorum as a as a keeper of mysteries has gone on to write something, at least one thing for Goodman Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's just it's one of those and, things where the yeah. community lifts everybody up. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and Stephen's one of the first third party publishers from. Back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> Weren't were you yeah. the first, or did someone snake that for you? I it's think uh, the yeah, sorcerer it's... snuck snaked it by a day or two. I thought it was. Yeah, something like um, that. Maybe a three day difference. We were we were like both. We all had our products in the can at the point, and but we were like told, okay, so don't release it until after the book got released. And then I think he was just quicker on the publish button. Yeah. Uh, after the initial book was launched, so. It will. It will always be our great feud. You. You have been a boon to the community as as well, Mister Newton. Oh, so. well, thank you for that. I appreciate. Thank it. you all. Big skulls, um, but that's really good stuff. Yeah, and and speaking of community, if you're going to GaryCon next week, exactly. um, feel free to say hi to us, and you know, we'd love to meet fans, uh, especially. And we might mm-hmm. have some swag for you. Yeah. Maybe might. Looking and forward to seeing our community in person again. Yes, so. very much so, and. If you join us here next month at our regular time, which is 9 p.m. Eastern, again, we were we had a time difference to make Joseph's schedule, mm. and uh, we will be discussing Paul Anderson's The Broken Sword, and it will be the book version, not a movie version, because we don't hate Mark. <laughs> 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 okay, so we so we can eventually read the High Crusade. <laughs> uh, the first the High Crusade movie it still gives me gives me nightmares. My <laughs> God, you know the, the the I I still to to this day I really still hated that first Paul Anderson book we read. So <laughs> Three Hearts, Three Lions. Yeah, I just I think we read that one with Dave B. Yeah, was that back in the. Yeah, I remember listening right. to your guys' review of that. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I got hate mail for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really just did not Oh, like yeah. And there have been times during other podcasts where, Bob, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, Demetri, yeah, it wasn't that terrible. It wasn't that great either. <laughs> just going to go on record again. <laughs> and you got to have fun with what you do, right? If it's a slog, you end up not enjoying yourself and nobody wants to watch that either so we've got to have fun with our friends here and our new family as i keep calling it uh, it's just i now have like four million kids as opposed to the the tiny little circle we started with <laughs> so uh i think that about does it for us um any last words from, is the fiftieth our... our longest episode ever? Is this? Yes, no. yes, it is. This is okay. this... well, well, because because we did we had the an interview... episode that was broken into two parts. Yeah, that's... but it was oh, released no. as two parts. So this is our longest single episode. <clears throat> I apologize to the editors ahead of time. 
<laughs> thank, thank you, you to all our guests Elena. for joining us uh, who got a chance to to speak with us it's been yes. a pleasure uh steven you're always one of my favorite uh folks to to game with and and i always enjoy your adventures so oh, thank, you, thank so you so much it's really an honor to have you here yeah, thank you to, to Stephen and Francis and, and Joseph and for coming Joseph, on and, yes. and, and making our 50th episode special. Totally appreciate it. I'm happy to be here for the next 50, whatever, whenever that Woo-hoo! happens. Hopefully that won't take another seven years. <laughs> 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 so there we have it. We hope we've inspired you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Be inspired. Good night, everyone. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. The Sanctum Socorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media.